Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Hey there, this week's conversation is recorded in a park near Asheville, North Carolina, and so you'll hear park noises. This is not recorded in a studio. It's face-to-face, live-to-tape as always, so keep that in mind when you hear fire engines and squirrels and dogs and wind in the trees and all that kind of thing. Also, uh, we record hour and a half, two hours, sometimes three hours, and then try to cut them down to keep them under an hour. So there's sometimes there may be little continuity issues. Like in the beginning, uh, we talk about Sarah's brother and how she still loves him, but she's not quite as close as she was. And so we talk about who she is close to, things like that. Um, also that she helped to find found a nonprofit with our friend Tasha. So There are just some illusions in this you should be aware of. Please enjoy. I'm interested in improving always. Like, how can we make this better? Whether it's a business process that I'm working on in my business or some personal relationship that I have with my family. What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man listening, because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, I'm Stuart Watson, and welcome to Man Listening. Along with a pandemic for the coronavirus, there's also been a pandemic in mental health challenges, mental diseases. That has been, by and large, unaware. The woman you're about to hear from, Sarah Frisbee, firmly believes that getting out into nature, particularly this time of year in North Carolina, it is just gorgeous, um, goes a long way to improving our mental health, especially just getting your hands in the ground, growing vegetables, growing flowers. That is where she has a real knack and a real expertise. And you'll hear about that and how she's used that to overcome trauma. My friend, Sarah Frisbee. Where were you born? I was born in Dayton, Ohio. I've asked some people this. If all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, you're driving in the rain. Okay. And you you hit someone. Uh-huh. And you freak out, and you go over it, and you realize they're dead. Oh, my gosh. Stuart. Okay. And you just freak out. You freak out, and you run away. You leave the scene. Who would you tell? <laughs> I would immediately call my friend Tamara Barber. Okay. I would call Tamara. And so what I'm getting at is now that you and your brother are like here. Yeah, yeah. Do you have someone that you absolutely trust just implicitly? Like they wouldn't judge you. They oh, wouldn't... yeah, for sure. It's Tamara. Now, what is it about Tamara? Who has appeared on this podcast. I know she has. 
that, that you're like, she won't judge me, she'll just help me process this. Well, it's helped that she's murdered people before in her life. So, no, I'm kidding. I, I mean, Tamara is. Um, I mean, I've talked to people who've murdered people. Yeah, I, and we know people mutually. So yeah. you know, no judgment there. It's, it's a journey for sure. I, I would. Tamara, is a friend, a genuine friend, and when I make mistakes. Speaking of judgment, she doesn't judge me. She is my friend through it. And she will distinguish. Can I, she, first of all, she asks if she can give you feedback about something. So if you said, <laughs> I accidentally ran over someone and then I fled the scene, she, she would say, she okay, would say, she would, would say you this. like to be coached on this? She would say, okay, first of all, do you want me to talk to you as a coach or as a friend? That's what she would say. She always distinguishes it. And I always say both, but first first I want I want to hear the coach because I always want to hear the the higher larger perspective first. Like the most neutral perspective. It gives you the bigger picture. And then I love hearing her friendship side cuz you know, we're both 90s bitches and so <laughs> We we have a good time. What does that mean, 90s bitches? It means that, <laughs> that you means grew up kind Yeah, of... we have similar taste in music and fun and yeah, I don't know. I, I just think Tamara, you know, I trust her with, I just trust her. She's, she's very delicate with delicate situations. And I've come to her with delicate situations before and she's, she's been a good friend through it. Yesterday I heard that a, a dear friend's son had taken his own life. Mm -hmm. And I had to be, do I call this guy up? Or do I not call him? Like, am I going to be crowding him? Yeah. Or am I going to be holding him up? Right. Um, when you have something like that, where you don't know whether to, like you want to support someone, but you, you don't exactly know how to support them. How do you process helpful, uplifting, elevating, not just fulfilling a social function? You know, I, whenever intense moments like that happen, I ask myself, what would I want to receive in this moment? And then I give it to that person. And I think really holding space for people to show up however they show up is what's important. Have you ever had someone confide and say, this happened and it was so heartbreaking and they, they really, you know, may even start to cry and break down. And then another person that's sitting there listening cuts them off because they're so uncomfortable with the emotion. And they say, oh, what's, what's and they just blow it for that person who was trying to process whatever it was that was coming through. Do you know what I mean? Well, I had a friend this morning call up and he said, we were talking about the same circumstance and he doesn't know the guy that well, mm -hmm. but he knows him. And he said he had been in seminary. Mm -hmm. And in seminary, one of his jobs was to be there for people who had just lost a teenage daughter to a drunk driver, mm. something like that. Yeah. And he talked about something called the ministry of presence mm -hmm. or the ministry of silence, mm -hmm. which is 
you are not to say anything. You are just to be with this person. Mm -hmm. It's really hard because it's much easier to say, can I get you a cup of coffee? Can I take care of the dog? Can I That's to just so run your mouth? Because actually I find that exhausting. I think that's harder for me. It's much easier for me to be like, come here and sit down. Let's just, you just tell me what's happening. And I'll listen. That's maybe one of my biggest strengths is listening. How do you do that? <laughs> uh, I just am laughing because I'm on, I'm on here at Man Listening. How do I do that? Empathy. I do offer that. First, I just let them talk until there's a natural break. You know, eventually someone will get to a stopping point. And then I give them empathy for what it is that they just expressed to me. And I'll give you an example. Please. Because this was exactly what happened in Please. the middle of a cousin, I don't know, COVID 2020 lockdown. We, we had zoom cocktail hours you know with my cousins and uh you know we had lost our grandmother and our oldest aunt of nine and it's a large family on my mom's side and um so the oldest group of female cousins i'm in that group and two of the four of us lost their mom the day we buried my grandmother and then a year later they lost their father and I mean, it's just, it's brutal. So we planned this um, reunion. The four of us were going to get together at Cape Cod and celebrate our grandmother and our aunt, their mom. And the oldest daughter had shared with me, you know, like people pass and you find things. And she had shared with me something that she found that her mom had written like a journaling. And it was about, you know, their struggle and their relationship. And it just broke her heart that her mom was struggling with this and like writing this down. And I don't know, I could make up that it made her feel guilty or whatever it was, who knows. But she got emotional and started to cry because it's hard. And immediately the eldest cousin just cut her off. And I just like was, ah, because I'm like, she's being so vulnerable and sharing this really tender tough thing that she found after her mom passes about her in a journal you know you gotta have space and so I actually interjected and told the one who interrupted to stop talking and asked the other one to continue and then you know when she came to a closing space I was like I'm really sorry you're experiencing that that must be so hard to read and that's it like, it's almost just like, like repeating back to them what they just said, because that's it. That's people just want empathy when they're hurting, right? You want, that's like when little kids fall and scrape their knee and they just want to be told, does that hurt? It really hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm so sorry that hurts. You're going to be okay. You know what I mean? And then they're like, okay, because they got some some sympathy for their pain. What I wrestle with is uh, how do you have empathy without being consumed? Boundaries you're talking about. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So. Well, I'm actually talking about kind of balance. Yeah. 
you know, like putting it in perspective, but there's only so much I can do and. Yeah. Well, I think being present in the moment. So it's so perfect. We came to this park because this is my park, right? (laughs) This is where I walk. Is this your happy place? This is where I walk every day. Sometimes twice a day. Sometimes three times a day if I well, need to go get present. Gorgeous. It's, it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. And it goes on and on here. And um and it's really quiet in the morning. And it's just me and the birds and like the animals and other fellow dog walkers and and this is the place that I come when it's overwhelming. Because I remember like get in nature. Nature's the great neutralizer, right? It just like brings you back to because it's the same every day like the pattern the time the frequency the seasons like it's just so it's the same no matter what craziness is going on in your personal life around you so if you're if I'm finding it hard to or overwhelmed by all the change which is what you're describing these are just changes in status of people and it becomes overwhelming it it becomes it's difficult to at times it can be difficult for me to remember just be present because you're not in control of any of it anyway right Mm -hmm. so I come to nature (laughs) that part just totally agreed Yeah, I just come to nature because, you know, everyone's on their own individual journey anyway. Maybe that is my journey or your journey is to... Well, what did you mean by faith? I wanted to ask you that. Well, I mean, for the example that you're giving me, faith that it's going to be okay. And that it is okay the way it is. Because, you know, I have family members in the hospital here and there for the same reasons you have family members in the hospital right and it's a very difficult thing to want to go and just help and fix of course you want to do that these are your family members and they're suffering and so faith for me comes in those moments because it's like it's almost like faith in myself like I have to have faith knowing that I'm going to be okay even if they're not okay because their journey has nothing to do with mine and so far it feels like my journey is about feeling okay when everything around me is falling apart I I must tell you that I'm I'm very weary to the point of being intolerant of the apocalyptic narrative that I keep hearing in sort of popular culture because it's the lack of being present in the moment and again if everybody was so concerned about the environment if they would all just go outside <laughs> and be in nature where you are <laughs> they would realize oh it's perfect and beautiful and of course there's always like improvements to be made and you got to change and go with the flow but you know i'm not a, i'm not a doomsday conspiracy person at all I I think that the planet is so beautiful and there's so much to be grateful for and I think we've gotten side railed 
as a society and we're, we're hyper focusing on things that don't actually matter and hopefully during lockdown people I mean a lot of people had time to sit and think about that and it became like you know the victory gardens became like a big thing where people were like oh let me go outside and plant a garden and some of that comes from doomsday people who think oh there's not going to be any food which you know it's possible it's possible but I think also it's just almost instinct for us to want to connect with plants and grow food and like don't you feel better just sitting in this park see what I mean nature is the great neutralizer yes and I think I mean, this is just, I don't know where you're going with these questions, but here's where I'm going in my life. I'm ready for a revolution when it comes to food and when it comes to nature and plants in general. What do you mean? A revolution for you or? A revolution for humanity and the way, especially this country, that we grow food and consume food and eat food and grow. You know, I think that people are, I love the idea of a front yard revolution where everybody has a victory garden, so to speak. Not just because you can grow food cheaply, organically from seed, and anyone can do it, but because it gets you in touch with nature and neutralizes anxieties about the future, depression about the past. It's like the best medicine. And people don't feel empowered right now some people don't feel empowered some people feel out of control and they have a lot of fear about the future if you simply just started growing your own vegetables you would have a drastic change in your mental and physical health I can promise you that <laughs> that's like a frisbee guarantee <laughs> I can absolutely promise you that because you know that Tasha and I have been working on a teaching garden, garden since, for five years now. I grew up with a mom with lots of allergies, and so I grew up eating vegetarian food. Yeah. So I've been eating soy and tofu <laughs> since I can remember. But, but there's so many. Everybody thinks that's, oh, that's bland, that's boring, that's... No! You can make it as fiery as you want to make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can live without any meat. Definitely, and I, I love meat. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying don't eat meat. Right. I'm, not, I'm definitely not saying don't eat meat because that's not for everyone. And I think you really just got to check in with yourself and, and ask. Because I've, try, I've tried, you know, no meat at all. And sometimes, like, in the winter months, I don't really crave a lot of meat. It's weird. Like, I just want soups with, like, root vegetables. <laughs> It's really strange. And breads. That's all I want in the winter. And then in the summer, I suddenly start craving red meat and fish and chicken. And it's yeah. probably opposite for a lot of people, but that's just, that's just my makeup. Yeah, here I am, says the man who had pork belly and duck nice. tacos today at oh, white, nice. white, white Duck. Yes. <laughs> so good. I gather what you're saying is that growing your own vegetables and the mental health that comes from that connection mm -hmm. has nothing to do with like, oh, go be vegan. 
It has to do with being connected to a certain part of your diet. Being connected to the planet, being connected to plants specifically. So plants have their own consciousness and they've proved this. Have I gone into this with you about studies that they've done? Oh, absolutely. Where they put lidocaine in plants and which is like a local anesthetic and they actually fall asleep and then they, they, when it wears off, they come back to, I mean, they've measured it. So they have proven scientifically that plants have consciousness the same way that you or I or an animal does. Now, people who are, you know, there are certain (laughs) groups of people that would say that's crazy. Plants are plants and they don't have feelings, but they do. They had, um, they had a room of all these plants and I don't know if they were tomato plants or something. And a man came in and they would play music for them with certain people who would come in and So this man would come in and he was like the abuser. So he would come in and he would take a lighter and he would put it under and burn leaves, play really loud, like rock music and stuff. I mean, just like obnoxious behavior (laughs) to anything that's living. And so they had them measured and like all of these measurements would go off the charts when, when this was happening. And then they had the man come in the next day with no music and he wasn't doing anything but just his presence had them responding in the same way which tells you that they not only can feel things but then they have memory and they pick up on energies this is not pavlov's dog this is pavlov's potted plant (laughs) this is exactly what that is and doesn't that fascinate you so when i say that there's a food revolution that needs to be had it's not because I mean, there is the aspect of irresponsible farming that we're doing and, and pesticides and different things that are going on in our country. Because I believe me, I think we're poisoning our people slowly with this crap. And especially when you go to European countries who have outlaw, outlawed all that and you eat that food and, you ha- and I have zero re- response to certain foods over there that I have here, like sensitivities to you know, certain foods. I think it's because there is a healing connection that happens when you work with plants. They're kind of like... Does it have to be a vegetable? Can it be a flower? It absolutely can be a flower. It doesn't have to be a vegetable. I'm just saying that if you, you know, some people really, I mean, there's, there are plant people, like the crazy plant ladies, <laughs> which I probably am. And then there's, um, you know, that just really get a lot of enjoyment and peace and tranquility from growing like having house plants caring for house plants and doing flowers in the summer but think about if you take that same level of energy that they give and then you start to ingest it so they make medicine i mean modern day medicine is from plants right these were old like thousands of years ago we we started this with plant medicine and then the associations of America and doctors have decided to put their stamp and they say nope it's actually medicine and you have to go to you know school medical school and it's the same medicine (laughs) it comes from the same plants right and we can be empowered to do that ourselves so if you take the same medicine that's why I'm saying vegetables as an example as a real revolution you can actually not just be outside growing it, nurturing it, and having 
an energetic healing taking place in that form, you can also ingest it and have it on an even deeper level. Well, the one thing that I do find most fascinating is that plants live in community and they share and they have a very elaborate, like trees specifically, mm -hmm. have an elaborate barter system for carbon. Yeah. They have a, a conversation back and forth, mm -hmm. um, which basically sounds like you have blocked 37% of my light, light of the yeah. light. Yeah. Your big ass branches up there have blocked 37% of my light. Yeah. At which 37% of the karma is like, my bad, dude. <laughs> Let me share 37%. Unbelievable. And it's the fungi underneath that is the transporters of all of this. They're the orchestrators of it all. They're the Verizon, T-Mobile. Exactly. Exactly what they are. And so here's the thing. When people are saying that plants aren't important or they're not significant or it doesn't matter or they're not, they don't have consciousness, they actually are the only reason we exist here. Without them, we couldn't. Right. My son loves to say, he goes, oh, the world is going to survive just fine. It's humanity. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he says, the trees will be fine. <laughs> they, yeah, they, we need to learn from them. This is such a great time in our history to go back to plants and trees and not all be labeled a bunch of hippies for it. Yeah. But because the people who are learning these things, they're not out. This tree is getting back at us. <laughs> the tree is like correcting us by pummeling at us. That's actually probably a squirrel. Yeah. Um, that these aren't dope smoking hippies who are coming up with this. They're PhD scientists yeah. who are out measuring, you know, a bunch of chemicals. Yeah. A bunch of organic chemicals that occur. Yeah. And honestly, you don't have to have a PhD in soil science to grow healthy food and have an experience with plants. You can actually know nothing, have a black thumb, because I believe that no human on this planet has a black thumb. When people say that, I'm like, you don't, you just, you don't. I do. <laughs> Stuart, you just, you're, you're going to have and my dad, my dad adored camellias. Oh, I remember this. Your dad was he a adored camellias. He grew camellias to compete with them, which I find yes. to be a little bit absurd more than a little bit absurd, that one camellia is quantifiably more beautiful than another. I mean, give me a break. Oh, you know? well, he had a relationship with them. Of course he did. So he knew. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. It is. And, I mean, who's to say what's perfect? It's kind of perfect in its own way. They're all beautiful. There's not... I don't know. There's, there's just, you know, it's funny because you're talking about your original question about empathy and holding space for people and not taking it personally. There's so much healing that is offered. I, I think, Stuart, this would be an interesting experiment for you to see if my theory is helpful. What theory? To, I mean, you don't have to go out and, like, put in a huge vegetable garden in your front yard. You could get a container and grow herbs that you love to eat every day 
maybe you don't love it, but it's good for you. Like put some parsley in your <laughs> smoothies or whatever. Are you saying on the deck? Like on yeah. The... Yeah. And just grow and just see like when you're feeling overwhelmed and anxious, like let me go and check on my plant. Let me stick my fingers down in the soil and see if it needs moisture added. Let me... Well, some, some of them, you know, just by um, breaking them open and like smelling them. Just like petting your dog or having a cup of tea, smelling certain... Lowers your blood pressure. It does. Yeah. You, you, you calm down. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think, I think a plant and would, would help. They're, they're really good teachers. They teach you patience. They're like children. So you've been around plants you... forever. Oh, yeah, you yeah. About... Okay. Sorry. So I, I just wanted to give you my background about that. I actually know a thing or two about plants. So I took this class called intuitive plant medicine because I was really interested in native peoples and, and their vast amount of knowledge about plants and how they use it for healing. Experience. Experience, yeah. W wisdom born of generations and generations of yeah. experience. Especially when you think about it in the like in a way that it's intuitive. Like, what does that mean? Intuitive plant medicine. I don't even know what that means. Like, am I going to be like doing psychic readings with them? Like, what is this? And so I remember when I took the class, and it was an online course. And I remember taking it and doing the exercises and I was like, this is so silly. What am I doing? And so I'm like going out and I'm looking for my plant that's like, you know, the one that's connected to me that I'm connected to that we're going to like give each other information. Anyway, it was this whole journey that I did. And the following year, I sold all my belongings and moved out west. And... It is the first time, and I whatever was in my car is what I took. So there were no plans. I took my prized ones and gave them to a close friend here because I knew I'd be back eventually. But um, when I went there, I realized that after I'd been there maybe three or four weeks, I was like, gosh, I feel really kind of down. And I don't understand it because I'm really excited to be here and I'm having a great time with my friends and the things that I'm doing. And then it dawned on me, there's no plants in this house, none. And I was in the Bay Area, so you know, when you live in the Bay Area, you live with a bunch of people and it's totally normal to do that. And so nobody there had house plants. And I just went to Home Depot and got like an orchid, a fern, and a snake plant. You know, just like three kind of standard plants that I would like. And immediately I noticed my mood shift. I mean immediately, it changed the not just the aesthetic of the room, but the way it felt to me. And then it dawned on me, the presence of plants is so, is ever present and they're, they're adding so much more than we realize. And so I, I don't recommend not having plants to anyone. So if you're feeling overwhelmed and anxious, I say, I mean, that's why people bring people flowers. There's a vibrational energy in there that is transmitting. I mean, it may be the subconscious that you're not even aware that's happening, but it's happening. Believe me, it's happening. And we are so blessed in the Carolinas that to be around trees yeah. 
uh, it's not like the only thing we have is Central Park, you know. Mm -hmm. We're not really surrounded by concrete and steel. We're really surrounded by woods and it doesn't take much time at all to get out into the, to see sunlight, sky, trees, and birds. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take long at all. No. I mean, you can, but there's something about being out in it as opposed to looking out the window at it. I mean, looking out the window at it is better than nothing. However, being in it like you and I are right now. Yeah. Well, it's like watching someone get a massage versus <laughs> receiving one yourself. <laughs> like it's relaxing to watch it. And yet when you receive it, it's like a whole nother level. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that either of us thought we were going to talk about plants today, but when you're asking me this question about empathy and anxiety and feeling an overwhelm, I really do think that the medicine can be as simple as being out in nature. And if you can't do that, because I know there are a lot of people that don't have this, like you said, I am a proponent of growing basil for no other reason. It just smells good. Like I have rosemary and thyme that's trailing by all the doors of my house. Always. I always have them because every time I walk by, I touch them and then I smell my hands <laughs> and it just smells so good. And it makes me happy. It's like a simple little thing. It's like you don't have to go and like buy perfume or some kind of chemical spray to spray the air. You have these organic things. Yeah. And I know from the, the teaching that I've done over the years to teach people how to grow food that they, a lot of people request, how do I do it in a container on a balcony? Because a lot of people live in the city and they don't have a yard. And it's absolutely possible, especially now they have all these really cool contraptions where there are towers, they call them, and they have all these pockets. And you can grow a whole side, a six feet tall, of a variety of different greens. And then on the other side, you could do a bunch of different herbs and even like tomatoes and peppers. And I mean, there's definitely options for everyone, no matter where they live. And uh, I have noticed in a lot of places assisted living centers. Mm -hmm. The television screen is ubiquitous. Mm. Uh, there's not a living area that does not have a flat panel mm. in it. Mm. And most of what's transmitted over that is not like 4k video of the rainforest yeah, you know yeah. most of it is either selling you something or selling you the idea that everything's on fire you yeah. know and um there's something about the presence not merely the absence of flat panel screens but the presence of this green organic living being is uh, restorative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, now I am going to sound like a hippie because I'm going to say throw your TV out. <laughs> or at least get it out of your bedroom at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> get it out of your bedroom. You'll sleep better, I promise. Even if you don't watch it? Even if it's not on? Yeah. I don't even... Well, I mean, I just don't have it in there because... Um, never. I never grew up with that. I know It was not a habit. You know, we had one TV in the whole house and it was in the living room. <laughs> so I never had it. And then... Um, former partner had like insisted that it be in the bedroom at the end of the bed and it was huge and it was like this giant I could feel the blast of whatever coming off of it you know what I mean and then we'd watch a movie and it was just right there and then it would go off and I was like vibrating Vibrating. in the bed (laughs) and he could just fall right asleep but I was always like oh my god so I did notice that and then it became kind of a trend where people said you know get rid of your TVs get them out of the bedrooms Maybe Oprah told everyone, you know, how, like once she finds out about something, everybody knows about it. Yeah. So, so I just don't, I just don't have it in there. Where did you develop your love of plants or your affinity for plants? How did that come about? Well, that is an interesting question because I grew up in an urban environment where my parents both worked at the children's hospital, which was only like four blocks away. And between the hospital and our house was my church. And so my life was like in this one square mile, just on the other side of the river from downtown Dayton in a neighborhood called Old North Dayton. And it was mostly immigrants, Polish, Irish, German. And there was, I mean, nobody was focused on gardening or any of that stuff you know and they were my mom was a nurse and my dad was in security there so I was that kid that um was always like digging in the backyard to find the worms and just really trying to regenerate the grass on my own in a cup of water like I don't know I was always just naturally drawn towards it and by the time I was in junior high, I remember maybe my seventh grade year, I said to my mom, can we go to Kroger and get a couple of plants for my bedroom? My bedroom needs plants. And she was like, really? Okay. And so I got the philodendron that I'm telling you about, that the trailing, and I put a hook in the ceiling right above my bed <laughs> so that when I was laying there, it was like coming down. And then I, got, I think I got like a little ficus tree. And that's how it started. And it just never stopped. And then by the time I was in high school, I was ripping out like old yew tree, like hedges in front of the house and replacing them with like um, azaleas and hydrangea shrubs. So I, I had seen a picture of a hydrangea flower when I was maybe ninth grade or eighth grade. And it was a f- like a lace cap hydrangea, you know, the flat ones that are like blue and pink and purple. And I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And I just had to know, what is this? And why is it not in our life? Why doesn't everybody have one of these? I couldn't figure out why like every homeowner in the world didn't have a hydrangea shrub in their front yard. And so then, you know, when I went to school, I ended up just studying it. And now that's the word I spread, the plant word. I hear you saying that you had a natural affinity for it. It wasn't. Like somebody yeah. taught a class or your aunt taught well, you? or No, I mean, my mom um, 
When my parents divorced, we moved to a new neighborhood and my mom bought a house, like a little bungalow. And I remember we had nothing. She, she didn't take anything, like all the furniture she kind of got rid of and wanted to start brand new. And so I think we had our beds you know, but literally we didn't have living room furniture. Like she got like one piece at a time very slowly. And so one of the first things she got, she got a couch. And the very next thing she got was this giant ficus tree. And we were like, this is so cool. And she put it in front of this door. And I don't know for her, I guess it was her influence because I thought how cool to have a tree inside your house. That is the coolest thing ever. And you know, so then at some point I thought I need to have my own in my room. And so, yeah, it just kind of birthed from there. Mid-October, the trees are turning yellow, but they're not, they're not at what they call peak. Mm -hmm. um, but people go out to look at them, in particular this time of the year. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I think it is my favorite month of the entire calendar year. And do you go someplace? Like, do you? Yes. Where do you go? Yeah. Well, I don't want to give it away because I don't know. <laughs> I don't want tourists flooding my spot. Well, then give me a vague. Um, okay, so you and I, I've taken you before. Right. Hiking to one of my favorite places called right. Max Patch. Right. Which is in... Uh, well, I think people have kind of discovered Max Patch. No, they know about Max Patch. So I'm lucky that I live just 10-minute drive to the Blue Ridge Parkway. Mm -hmm. And I can get on and go north or south. And honestly, just... And even if you don't stop at one of the overlooks or one of the trails and you're just driving it, it's like I mean, you just look out either side of your window and that's all you would need to do. I defy you not to have a spiritual connection when you're up there. Yeah, during leaf peak season. Yeah. Peak leaf season. And you don't have to go to Vermont or Maine or New Hampshire. No, just get a red maple and put it in your yard. <laughs> a sugar maple. A sugar maple will grow four feet in a season, no joke. I had a friend who gave, who has a sugar maple and had little, you know, babies that start out from the bottom and he dug it up and gave it to my friend and she put it in her backyard and I kind of gave her a hard time about it because I was like, you're going to plant <laughs> that your tree. But it ended up, it grew, not kidding you, it grew four feet this summer, like a weed. They're very fast growers and they're beautiful, bright fall. I mean, uh, they're, they got that red fall color. I support people in their healing journeys, either through plants or massage therapy or energy work. You know, I'm into all that stuff. And I love talking about that stuff and supporting people in it. So how old are you? <sighs> Stuart, what does it matter? <laughs> Old and, enough. And this incarnation, <laughs> how old are you? I'm 47. Okay. Where do you feel like you are? Like, how would you describe where you are in your sort of spiritual journey and all these various things? What do you mean? Like, am I a baby in my spiritual journey? Like, uh, you and I have known each other for a little over six years, like six and a half years. Mm -hmm. And within this last six years, I've seen you go through mm. a, a number of you know, like kind of seismic mm. shifts yes. or changes. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like, uh, sometimes it seems to me, 
Sarah doesn't get a break. <laughs> like no like Sarah, Sarah, Sarah doesn't get any breathing room to sit on top of the mountain and appreciate where, <laughs> she, where she's been before, you know, uh-oh, the roller coaster is going back down again Yeah. from this bench, this park bench. Uh-huh. Well, where, okay, so where are you? let's address that. So, uh, to be fair, I, I ask for these changes. Like, I'm willing. You You're know what open I mean? to it. I'm open to it. It's not that you create it. I'm open to it. Well, I say I want to experience this. I'm interested in improving always. Like, how can we make this better? Whether it's a business process that I'm working on in my business or some personal relationship that I have with my family which is large in Irish Catholic. So that tells you all you need to know there. There's lots of play and fodder there for personal development. Plenty of crazy. Plenty of crazy. And, um, you know, so there's like so many categories that you can develop and upgrade, so to speak. And I'm always interested in learning and pushing myself even further and even further. And uh, to be to be honest, after the last four years, I think I'm like, okay, I'm ready to take a break and just settle in with this. Because I think it's more rare for people to actually change at a certain age, after a certain age, to really change. Most people stay the same maybe their whole lives. After, when does your brain stop developing? 23, 26, something like 25. that. 25. 25. So, like, maybe, like, after that, you know, people get into their 30s and 40s. But, I mean, they, I got sober at, you know, 34. Right. So, you definitely changed. Well, my brain calmed down a lot. I don't know if it <laughs> changed or whatever, but I stopped putting toxins yeah. in it on the daily. Well, they say that when you're drunk, you stop maturing because you're never sober enough to take in an experience. Yeah, emotionally. Right. So for sure, you definitely changed after you stopped drinking. Yeah, I think so. You've matured yeah. <laughs> since you were 34, whatever yeah. it was. Well, I think I would have hit on you sometime in the last six years if I'd still been drinking. Oh. Well, then we wouldn't be friends because I would have Oh, I know. Like, I, I know we like, wouldn't Ugh. be friends. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's so interesting. So, even like that statement from you six years ago would have sent me into a spiral. Into a spiral. It would have felt threatening. Well, and I just. You know what I'm saying? I didn't mean to. No, no, no. I'm just saying this is so interesting. We're talking about this because. We're talking about me and my growth and my changes and the things I've gone through. Yeah. And a lot of people with really heavy-duty stuff that they've been through don't want to go there. Right. I understand. And I decided at some point for some reason that I wanted to change the outcome of my life in my family and that for some reason, I was going to be the one to change the trajectory of how my family proceeds. And it has been like the hardest work of my life. 
starting a nonprofit, creating my own business, going off on my own at 18, like none of that was difficult compared to like facing family dysfunctions, traumas, personal traumas, you know. That that takes a level of courage and that you just decide, okay, I'm doing this. And so my life's work is like, this will be forever because my family's so big. I mean, and as soon as I work through it with one, then, you know, a more distant cousin comes into play and you're it's like, it's whack-a-mole. It is whack-a-mole. But I admire and honor you for all the work that you've done because in my experience, most people would rather sit in front of the television or sit at the bar or go to the ball game, you know? Yeah, and like what is that about me that doesn't do that stuff, that would rather go, <laughs> like take a deep dive into, you Well, know. your soul knows you have work to do. Yeah. You don't have time for the ball game right now. Yeah. Like you're in, you're in it. <laughs> You are the ball game. You're in the ball game. <laughs> I need my own show. <laughs> then people can watch this, this unfold. Well, but I mean, just from the from a distance and knowing you, yeah. I mean, I've seen some of it, and it's amazing. Yeah. And I think there is also um, an end point to it because then I think that that can get addictive too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the drama. Yes. So, I mean, there's the healing part where, first of all, there's just the recognition that there is, there's some issues <laughs> and then there's the, okay, let's, let's face them. And that's just like a whole series of things. And then there is what was my role in this. And as, a victim, like victim of the universe type, which I was, that is a big pill to swallow when you're first going through recovering from trauma. Is like, how was I like responsible? Like, what role did I play in this? And I feel like that was so subconscious for me. Like, I, I had no awareness for a really long time. I didn't know that I was even victimized for the longest time. And then I realized, oh, like, this is not everybody's experience. Some people actually just feel safe every day in the world. And trust. Just because they decide to. I mean, I didn't realize that that was like a choice. So. Because when, I, when we say that, assuming responsibility, uh -huh. some people just freak out and say, you're blaming the victim. This is not in any way excusing them or letting them off the hook. This has to do with how long we will wallow in the injury. Yeah. And so what I have realized and discovered, because my victim experiences have been any, everywhere from like, you know, infancy, <coughs> young childhood, teen years, and some adult experiences <laughs> until I realized, oh, I can actually be in a way that keeps this from happening, right? The recipe for me and my experience with traumas was um, in the context of chaos. 
I was born into a chaotic family where the most stable parent was an alcoholic. <laughs> and you know how alcoholics can be. So if that's the most stable, that kind of tells you the chaos that was going on. And so I felt like a lot of that, so like the really young traumas where you're an infant or a very young child, you know, that's really hard to say, like, what did I do? Like, what, what was my role in that? What we know about children who grow up with an alcoholic parent is there's no such thing as it having no effect on them. Yeah. It has an effect. Now, how they react and respond, they're just little kids. Yeah. They're just choosing whatever they can choose. They just got to make sense out of something that is totally nonsensical. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that as um, the stages of recovering from victimhood, <laughs> I think the final stage, at least for me, has been recognizing that I have been participating by being in this chaotic environment. And that then it becomes a choice, like, I'm going to step out of the chaos. And so what I did most recently, like the most recent, you know, has been a declaration of I am complete with experiencing chaos. Please show me a lighter, brighter way, which is what I asked for. And you know, like when you make a big declaration like that, of course, all the chaos is going to come up to show you, okay, here, it's here, it's here, it's here, it's here. And I think it's been really challenging for my friends to observe me in the last four years because I've been, you know, okay, well, there is. And so now I've, I'm to the point where I can say, oh, there's chaos. And this is how I would have responded in the past. And now I observe it like as an outsider, which is how I know healing has happened because I'm no longer in it. I can observe it. And now I choose to respond differently to things. That's huge. Oh my God, it's so big. And so, you know, it's like Maya Angelou says, once you, once you learn, you teach. And so now it's like, that's the next part of the cycle is when you feel like you have fully processed your shit, <laughs> you know, and you've looked at it all and you've gone down the hole, which, you know, I've been doing pretty regularly for the past six years. Now it's time to say, okay, enough of that. Like it's, it's, it's complete. And now I can start walking in a way from a place of someone who's learned and is aware. And now I can share with people who have, are just starting to get the awareness. Like, this is how you do it. Let me show you the way. And I'm, again, back to plants. Plants are a huge part of that. Well, simply sharing with another human being the particulars, the details of your own experience is incredibly powerful. You don't have to preach. Yeah. Once they know right. certain particulars, mm -hmm. then you are the sermon. You don't need to say anything. Yeah. You know, they know, oh, if Sarah survived that, then there's a model for me. Right. That's good stuff. Yeah. If we get struck by lightning right now, yeah. 
and all that survives is this little piece of audio. <laughs> that was it. What, what is your legacy? Um, oh my goodness, Stuart, was this on the last one? Did we talk about this? I think you do always ask this question. I say that my legacy is to provide a space for people to forgive themselves and others. And I offer it in many modalities. Like? Like teaching people how to grow food, working with them in energy work that I do, massage therapy. I feel privileged to know you. Thank you. And I know you would rather be decompressing after a heavy day at work. Yeah. So, oh no, this is decompressing. I know. But yeah. thank you for your time and I honor your work and I appreciate your friendship. Thank you. I am so grateful, so filled with gratitude to know Sarah Frisbee. Uh, next week, we come back to Charlotte to talk to my friend Amy M about her personal experience with opioids while being pregnant, uh, an opioid addiction and a pathway to a huge whole new life. After that, we go to my hometown of Albany, Georgia for a couple of weeks um, to talk to a couple of women, one a former debutante, one a former hippie, actually a hippie and debutante, a hippie debutante, a hippie Well, anyway, a socialite and a hippie. <laughs> That's coming up on Man Listening. Thanks for listening. Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch, like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. A huge thank you to everyone who supported Man Listening from the very beginning. I really appreciate it. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Click the subscribe button and next week you'll hear. Yeah, it was an absolute love affair. Now, obviously I was in my teens, so you know I, I didn't have a, ready a steady supply of opiates, but something switched in my brain that day. And although my alcohol use continued throughout college, any chance I could get to go to a doctor and be sick and get something, I would. That's next week on Man Listening. Thanks.